Good evening. It is great to be back with you. So did you guys have some dreams? Yes, some? Okay. Um, well, we're just going to start by doing a little bit of review. Um, the number one thing that we understand about dreams is they are not literal. They are symbolic exactly they're symbolic so um, we're not really dreaming about the president or the prime minister or our pastor but the people in our dreams they represent something else um, and so it's allegorical and metaphorical and then we had our dream decoder that we looked at there's three key questions that we want to ask about every single dream that we have um, so the number one thing we don't know anything about a dream until we know what the setting, exactly. What is the setting? What is going on in our waking life when we have the dream? What were we thinking about when we went to bed that night? What were we praying for as we fell asleep? That's the setting. And then, what are we doing in the dream? That is the key action. Exactly. Action. So, were we ministering? Were we um, fighting? Were we running? We look in the dream and say, what is the biggest thing that we are doing in this dream? And that's the, the main action. And then the third key question we ask about every dream we have is, what is the emotion? Exactly. What is the key emotion in the dream? How was I feeling? Was I excited? Was I scared? Was I grateful? What was I feeling in the dream? And so you guys have this. This is awesome. You remember this. Um, but I want you to remember it like in a few weeks or a few months. And um, like, here's the deal, actually. Um, Pastor John Arnott of uh, Catch the Fire in Toronto, he was um, gracious enough to write a blockbuster forward to my book. And I was, I was so grateful. And um, so a few months after that, though, he, um, he sent me an email. And he's like, Hey, Charity, um, my wife, Carol, just had a really awesome dream last night, and I know we're supposed to be looking for some things. It's, it's like the emotion, but, you know, we're traveling. Like, I have it written down somewhere, but we're not home. And he's like, what are the other things? You know, we don't want to forget the key things for every dream. And so, of course, I told him, and, like, we went through the dream, interpreted it, and he was really encouraged by the revelation, and that was super awesome. But it got me thinking. <sighs> Good grief. How in the world is he supposed to remember the key aspects for dream work? And for that matter, how is anybody supposed to remember? How are you guys supposed to remember? So I'm like, God, we need an acronym. So, so the blockbuster, awesome revelation that is not even, it's bonus stuff. It's not even in the book. So the new thing that we've got is the Daisy Dreamwork Method. Um, and over and over in the book, I use this format. You'll see my dreams, and I put them in this format. But I just don't call it that in the book. So now we've got a, a title for it. So the Daisy Dreamwork Method, it's a dream. Obviously, we put a summary. We record a summary of our dream immediately upon awakening um, so that we can work with it. And then A is action in the dream. What was I doing? E is emotion. We just mentioned that in the dream. How am I feeling? And um, the next section is uh, the setting. S is uh, setting. So what was going on in my waking life when I had the dream? And then I is the interpretation. So that's the Daisy Dreamwork Method. And I think it's really awesome. And I think that's helpful. However, the other thing that's also true is that you can't nail jello to a tree. Yeah, or a wall or anywhere else you might want to be nailing the jello. And dreams are like jello. 
They're just, they're all over the place, right? So we've got this huge, magnificent, awesome blockbuster revelation from God through our dreams. We don't just want to like awkwardly cram it into our formula box format. It's an awesome method, and usually the dreams will fit in there nicely. There's like an obvious action. There's an obvious emotion that stands out to us. But if we go through and there's a really strong emotion, but we just can't really identify an action, we just leave that blank. We don't even worry about it. We're not going to lose sleep over it or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I think um, it, will, it will help us go through our uh, dream work. So... Um, uh, first thing this evening, we are going to um, we're going to look at how pictures are the language of the heart, because um, we want to answer the really big question that everybody has about dreams, which is why can't they be clearer? <laughs> right? Why can't they be clearer? Why are they so confusing? Why can't they just be literal? Right? Why are they in picture form, and it's, it, you have to decode it then and decrypt it? So. Why does God speak in pictures? Um, we're going to answer that question of why he uses pictures and demonstrate how God spoke to my heart through pictures, how that was really powerful. Um, but actually, um, we want to start by looking how God uses pictures even in Scripture and why he does it and how it works. Because um, most of us, we want a direct, literal language. But the, the awesome thing about pictures is they bypass our head. They move right to our heart. They engage us and our heart and our emotions, and that's what that's what God wants. Um, remember that story? It's in Second Samuel twelve, and it's when okay, there's King David, and he is just off the rails. Remember the whole thing with Bathsheba, okay? And then he wants this other man's wife, and so then he goes and gets her husband killed, and then he does more murder to cover up the killing. Okay, it's this whole horrible thing, committing sin after sin after sin. And so God sends uh, Nathan, the prophet, to come and confront David about this horrible sin. The thing of it is, Nathan was not literal. He did not come and confront him directly. Instead, if you'll remember, Nathan goes into this whole entire allegorical, metaphorical, symbolic picture story. And he goes up to David and he says, okay, there was this guy and he was really rich and he had like all of this flocks of sheep and, and goats and all of the livestock. But then there was this, this guy and he was poor and all he had was one baby little ewe lamb. And the poor man loved his beloved little lamb. Like he, he drank from his cup, the lamb, and the lamb ate with his family. He treated him like his child. It says, oh, Nathan's like he slept with the lamb in his arms. He loved this lamb. On and on. And then Nathan goes on to tell King David, well, there is this big um, party, and so the rich man needed a lamb to like kill for the feast. And so instead of using one of his like million lambs that he had, he went over and he took the poor man's only beloved you lamb and he killed him so they could eat him for dinner. And so then David's heart burned with anger. That's what the scripture said. Burned with anger over that injustice of what was done. And so then 
Nathan got literal. He says, hey, you are that man. You are that man. And that was when he could do it. Because you know what? David's emotions were already engaged. You know, he, he did not give any excuses. He did not rationalize his behavior. He did not justify his sin. He's like, oh, he already felt it. He saw the situation from God's perspective, which gave him God's emotions. And then God's emotions moved him to godly action, which was repentance. So that is why God uses pictures, because they engage our emotions. And um, an example, that was a biblical example of it, but God does this to us all the time through our dreams. And so an example um, for me, a dream that I had, it was just a loud and clear message to me to a question that I had, my heart had in waking life. And um, in waking life, the setting of the dream was that my beloved husband, Leo, he was doing something that I didn't really appreciate. Like, he was handling this situation not in the way that I thought it should be handled. And and I was going to let him know about it, you know, because, you know, Jesus Christ has become to me wisdom from God, and I have the mind of Christ, and... I was going to go give my husband a piece of that mind. <laughs> but I thought, <laughs> I thought okay, maybe, okay, maybe just before I do that, I should just check in with God, you know, just make sure God and I are on the same page. I mean, I'm sure that God totally agrees with me because I'm absolutely right and Leo's totally wrong. But let me just check in and see. So I go to sleep at night with a question on my heart of who has the right feeling about the situation? Who is in the right place? Okay, that's, that's the setting of the dream. And so then I have this dream, and, um, and Leo and I are rock climbing in the dream. And we've climbed up to like this really tippy-top precipice, and I'm just, <gasps> I'm clinging in fear to the top of this rock. I'm so afraid. But he is, meanwhile, he's like climbed up and it's really narrow and he's like standing at the top of it. And then there's like um, like a rope like from this mountaintop over to this mountaintop over here. And he's like going across it like a tight wire. He's like going back and forth. And he's like, oh, you should come up. You should do this too. Meanwhile, I'm just like, I'm clinging. I'm so scared. I'm not, I'm not moving. I'm paralyzed with fear. And he's like, no, no, you can do this. Yeah, I've, just, I've got these special gloves, and you can have the gloves, and then you can do it too. And I'm like, no, no, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And so that was the dream. So we can see it was this kind of a scary dream. Oh, <laughs> good. Um. So, oh, that, that's totally fine. I'm glad he's okay. Yeah. So I was wondering who was in the right place and who had the right feeling about this. Well, I wake up and I, I see, well, I am clearly not having the right feeling because I was in fear in the dream. And fear is against my religion. I mean, perfect love casts out fear. I am not afraid. I'm not afraid of rock climbing. We do that in waking life. So that God was showing me through the dream, hey, how you are, this is not how you should be. This is not who you really are. And this is not how you want to be. And, and God just had me like ponder this picture 
and what was going on. And I realized, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be in fear. So, okay, I get that. And, but I was just like, well, fine. If, if I won't say anything to Leo, I won't confront him about it. Cause I'm like, I get it. I'm, I'm wrong. But God said, just keep pondering that picture. Just keep praying on it. And look, he's like, well, what is Leo? Like, look at the dream, and, and what is Leo in the dream? I'm like, what is Leo? I don't know. He's, because he climbed up on this thing. He's, I'm like, he's brave. Eh, I don't know. And he, I don't know. He's courageous. He's strong. And I'm like, God, what is Leo? And he's like, oh, he's fearless. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he is fearless. I'm like, oh, I love that about Leo. That's one of my most, he is totally fearless. He's like crazy ambitious. He just, you know, he'll just decide to do something and he does it. He'll wake up one morning, I'm going to become this. And he becomes it. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. It's just him and God, they're the majority. And, you know, he's taking me on these, you know, amazing adventures. Just like in the dream, we're doing this crazy thing. And, and he was totally encouraging me, even though I was kind of pathetic in my fear. He didn't even judge me, right? He's like, oh, no, you can do this. And he, he was so good and so supportive and so believing in me. And he was so amazing and he was so fearless. And I just kept thinking, oh, I, I love Leo. Leo's my hero. Leo's amazing. That's so awesome. And so after pondering that dream, my heart is in this place, oh, yay, Leo. And, and that is a very, very different place than I was when I went to bed. Because when I went to bed, I was ready for a fight. But then God, through the dream, he reminded me of what I just forgot for like a second of how awesome Leo is and how I totally do honor him and respect him. And he is doing the right thing. And and this is, this is the thing. God gave me his point of view. Remember, because he raised me up in the, in the dream. I was really at the high top of the mountain. So that's like a heavenly perspective. And so I've got God's point of view. And then that changes my thinking. So I'm, I'm repenting. I'm changing my thoughts to line up with God's thoughts because I'm seeing my situation the way God sees it. And then my emotions are also engaged because I saw, I saw Leo the way God saw him and the way I see him always. He is my hero. He is crazy amazing. But this is the thing, and this is why pictures are so important and why God used them. Because God could have been literal. God could have said to me um, when I was wondering, you know, how to handle the situation in waking life, God could have been very direct and clear and just said, Charity, you're wrong. Leo's right. Submit to your husband. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have taken that really well. Okay? I mean, I would have obeyed, okay, because he's God. Obedience is not optional. But I still would have been a little bit attitudinal. I would have just been, well, fine. I won't say anything, but oh, uh, I, I just still won't agree. But then... But no, I have a picture, and now I'm reminded, oh, Leo's amazing. We have these awesome adventures. He's fearless, and I love that about him. And so now I'm going to love Leo and honor him and respect his decision. It's not because there's a rule, and I have to do it. It's like, oh, I want to. Of course. I love him. I honor him. I respect him because now my emotions are brought over to God's emotions of honor and respect because I am seeing it from God's point of view, from his perspective and his picture. 
So that's why God uses pictures. He did it in Scripture with King David. He does it every single night with us through our dreams. He gives us a snapshot of the Spirit. It's kind of like, remember we talked about Job and the, the bumper bowling. You know, I was going along pretty well, but he just it kept me back from like the pit of fights, unnecessary fights in our relationship. It kept me back from the gutter of, um, you know, having an argument. Instead, it preserved peace in our home. And that was that is very, very valuable for relationships of any kind. If we can get God's perspective before we go and have that conversation, you know, that is very, very helpful. So if you guys kind of see how that works, I want you to say amen. amen. All right. Awesome. And so we're going to do a couple, a couple more of these declarations. We want to speak life over ourselves, declare some truth, um, to lock the revelation into our hearts. So say... Say this. Say, I see why God uses pictures and dreams. Say, I love the picture language that God speaks at night. Thank you, God, for engaging my heart through dreams. I'm becoming fluent in the language you speak at night. Amen. So now we just want to look a little bit um, at how how dreams get us out of our heads and into our hearts. So why do we want to get out of our heads? Why do we want to get into our hearts? Amen. Because God lives there. He doesn't live in our heads. He lives in our hearts, Ephesians 3.17. And the Holy Spirit flows from our innermost being. So we've got our heart, we've got our spirit. We want to live from down deep, not up here, but down in here, live out of that sacred union with God. So John G. Lake, um, he's that famous healing revivalist. He saw like 100,000 documented healings in his ministry. Um, He shared an incredible revelation that speaks to this. And uh, John G. Lake said, In the beginning... Man's spirit was the dominant force in the world. When he sinned, his mind became dominant. Sin dethroned the spirit and crowned the intellect. But grace is restoring the spirit to its place of dominion. When man comes to realize this, he will live in the realm of the supernatural without effort. Yeah, so John G. Lake, he dethroned the intellect. He crowned the spirit because he did live in the realm of the supernatural without effort. And we too can dethrone the intellect and crown the spirit and live into the supernatural realm effortlessly. Um, How do we do that? One way is through dreams. One awesome way is through dreams because they are a form of meditation that moves scriptural truth from our heads down into our hearts. Because we, we've kind of mentioned this. You know, we can say, well, God loves me. We can quote a verse of scripture with our head and our mind, but love is not experienced in our mind. Love is experienced in our hearts. You know, we can say, we can quote, oh, well, I'm forgiven. But we don't experience forgiveness in our heads. We feel it in our hearts. And so God wants us to experience those um, scriptural realities and let them be tangible in us. 
Because if we say that God loves us and we question that love, it's because we, we just have it here. We haven't experienced that heart revelation and that heart understanding. And, um, you know, it, it talks about in James, that, you know, if we're, we're double-minded, you know, if we, if we trust in our mind and we're, we're kind of, we're back and forth and does he love me or is he taking care of me? And we know that a double-minded person is a person who only knows the truth in their mind and they haven't gotten it down into their spirits yet because rationalization just kind of makes them doubt that truth. But when the truth is in our hearts, then, then we're unshakable. We're steadfast. We're immovable and not tossed to and fro by, by the wind and the waves. Um, so that's what we want. When truth is in our heart, we own it. We have that heart understanding. And through dreams, the Holy Spirit will take that truth deeper and he will actually write his word on our hearts. So then it, it's imprinted. It's down deep and it can't be taken away. So I want to share a personal example of, of how God used a dream um, to move scriptural truth from my head to my heart. Um, and you guys can help me kind of interpret this. So I'll just share the dream. Um, in the dream, we went to a cabin, a log cabin, and uh, went inside, and there was just whew, stuff everywhere. Like there was dirty laundry piled up on the furniture, and there were dirty dishes on the counter, and then there's piles of mail on, on the table. Like every surface was just covered. It was just a mess, and it was totally my responsibility to fix everything. It was my job. Like, oh, man. So I'm completely overwhelmed by the responsibility. And Nicole thinks it's funny because all my dreams are about this. This is my heart journey, guys. You have to be transparent with dream work. So I'm overwhelmed by this responsibility in my dream. And um, But the first thing I know that I've got to do, I've got to open a window get some fresh air in here. And then, and then I go outside and, um, there is a cell phone. And so we got a text message and then on the text message, it was from our friend Billy. And he said that his sister was coming early tomorrow and that was going to take care of everything. Actually, that was a really good thing. Um, cause somehow she was going to help. And so then I was just like, Oh, this is really good. And I just had like this sigh of relief and so, like, the tension was just kind of melted away. So I'm like, well, that's good. I mean, it, it started kind of poorly, but it ended well. And so what in the world does this dream mean? We know to understand it, we look at the main emotion, right? So what is the big thing I am feeling in this dream? Exactly. I am totally overwhelmed. And what's overwhelming me? All, all the work, all the responsibilities, exactly. So we know that to decode and decrypt this dream, we take that emotion from the dream and we take that, that work and we say, well, where in waking life am I experiencing that? We overlay it on top of the dream. Okay, where am I feeling overwhelmed and specifically by work? And that was a really, it seems like it's, um, it's kind of literal and it's literal and it's symbolic. Um, in waking life, I was feeling overwhelmed by work. However, it wasn't literal, like in the dream, it was housework. It was dirty dishes and dirty laundry. But in waking life, it was like um, office work, um, ministry responsibilities. And there was, there was phone calls and emails and, you know, those, that kind of work. Um, so it wasn't um, literally housework, but it was a clue. It was work and it was overwhelming. So I see, oh, I match it up. 
And, and then we see what area of my life the dream is speaking to. Um, <clears throat> so let's just, um, you guys can help me. You guys can help me decrypt this dream. Let's look at the very first symbol in it. We've got a cabin. What do you guys think a cabin might represent? Rest, peace, a getaway, security. Yes, and someone, someone said isolation. Um, so you know what, there's actually, this actually, uh, represent this, that shows it can mean so many different things to different people. It could mean a getaway or rest or isolation, depending on who is dreaming it. And if you dream it and it means isolation to you, that's what it means to you. But if you dream it and it means peace to you, that's what it means to you. So this is my dream. It matters what I think. And, um, to me, a cabin, it represents something that's it's temporary. Because for me, I'm like, you would never really live in a cabin. A cabin is just a place that you go to for like a short time, like a weekend, like a getaway, a weekend or like a a summer, Um, but you don't permanently live there. So for me, it, it was temporary. And that one symbol right there was so encouraging. Because God's saying, hey, I see that you feel totally overwhelmed by this work, but the first thing you need to understand It's temporary. It's just for a season, okay? This too shall pass. And I I know that verse, but what does that look like in my life? Oh, it's a temp it's cabin, okay? It's temporary. I'm like, okay, this is good. So far, so good. And so then I come in and there's all this work, but the first thing I need to do, I need to open a window to let the, the air come in. What do you guys think that might represent? Yeah, absolutely. The Holy Spirit. We know it's the, the Ruach of God, the spirit, the breath, that we just want to let him breathe into this situation, into this place of overwhelm, right into my work and my circumstance. And that will refresh it. That will refresh me and revive me when I can get the atmosphere of heaven into that place. And then the next thing I did is I went outside, and there was a cell phone that we were using. So what do you guys think maybe a cell phone might represent? Communication, connection, what was that? The word? Yeah, absolutely, it does. It it means um, communication and connection. And to me personally, um, the way I see cell phones, I kind of consider it um, almost like prayer. Uh, Because we're we're talking to someone that we can't really see. You know, somebody who's not here. And although we know that God is here, and we have a conversation with him, he's, you know, he's kind of here, kind of not here. He's in an invisible dimension. So for me, cell phone is an excellent symbol for prayer. So in the dream, I am positioning myself in order to, to get some reception and to get a word from heaven to see what, um, what kind of heavenly downloads I can get in God's perspective on this situation. And so, and then, and then we've got a message from Billy. And see, here's the thing. This is why the dreamer themselves is always the best person to interpret the dream. You are the most qualified interpretation expert of your dreams because you know what the symbols mean to you better than anyone. You know what the setting is because you know what's going on in your waking life and you know what the symbols mean. So Billy, you don't know who Billy is, but I do. So Billy... Billy was my brother's friend. When we were little kids, 
Billy and his sister lived right down the street from us, and my brother always played with Billy, and I always played with Billy's older sister. And Billy's sister's name is Joy. Joy. So the message wasn't just that Billy's sister is coming early tomorrow. The message is Joy is coming in the morning. Yeah. Yay. Yay, God. So that's really cool. I mean, that's a verse that I know. I can, like, quote it. But when I, oh, I just experienced it, I felt it. Oh, she's coming in the morning. Oh, joy is coming. I can relax. It's a weight. It's tension and stress just melting away. And so we get to live into Scripture when we can feel it, when we can dream it. So, so we see what happens. So God just, you know, we're in this place, it's, but he's saying it's temporary. It's just a cabin. Let my Holy Spirit blow into this place. Make sure you come apart, you know, rest a while and get positioned to hear my revelation and then realize joy is coming in the morning. Yay! Yeah! So, see, when I wake up from this dream, then I, I, have, I have two choices then. You know, because I can look, I can look at the natural realm, and I can see it hasn't changed. I still have a lot of work, and I can look at what's seen, and I can, I can be overwhelmed by it. Or I can look at the things that are unseen, like my dreams and the messages God is speaking to me in the night, I can say, oh, that's what I choose. I'm going to set my mind on the spirit. I'm going to look at the unseen. I'm going to keep seeking the things above and look at that promise and that blessing. And I want to, I want to agree with that picture that this too shall pass. I want to agree with that picture that joy is coming in the morning. Because when I can look at it and agree with it, then I, I collapse it, right? I collapse that promised potential um, because it's there for me. God has given me these promises and these blessings, but I need to agree with them. So I observe them in my dreams, and we know from the observer effect that when we observe something, we change it. We move it from things that are unseen into the seen. So now I can choose, okay, I'm going to observe this joy. I see it. I feel it. I want it. And now it's not just going to be this potential joy or peace that is in heaven. Now it's, it's collapsed. It's realized. It's welling up in my heart, in my spirit, and I feel that joy, and I feel that peace in my, in my waking life. And I can choose to wake up from that dream and memorize those emotions, live out of those kingdom emotions, and keep resetting myself, keep bringing that picture up. And when I'm tempted to move, feel overwhelm or stress, I'm like, oh, wait a second. It's a cabin. It's temporary. Wait a second. Joy is coming. So I don't need to worry about it. And I can just keep reminding myself and pondering and meditating on those pictures that God gave me in the night. So the situation didn't change, but I did because my focus changed. And focus is everything. Now we just, we fix our eyes on Jesus' promises. And we know that's, you know, the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So I'm setting my, my mind on the spirit through dreams. Because that's where they're, they're coming from. The spirit realm, the supernatural, in God's heart. So that's what I set my mind on. And that results in life and peace. That's the fruit that we want. So we observe that other realm. We witness that other reality. And then we live to that inner kingdom. So, um, you know, granted that that dream, particular dream, is not completely life-altering, but the thing of it is we do not need our entire lives altered, like, every single night. Right? 
we just we just need a little bump back on. We're going good, and it's bumper bowling. And I just I needed to get. I'm I'm doing the right stuff. I'm just stressed out by it. So let me just have a dream and bump me back on track. You know, bump me back. And um, you know, the thing of it is, it says in scripture, you know, God's word is a a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, how far out does a lamp shine? Not that far. It's just like about right here. And so I get enough revelation for for the day, and I live into that. And then I go to sleep at night, and I have another dream, and I get some more revelation, and that's a little bit more light. And I just keep moving and walking, totally dependent on the Spirit, totally dependent on the revelation and the light that He's given me for that day. And then we move from faith to faith and grace to grace and glory to glory because... I mean, the path of the righteous does shine brighter and brighter, the dawning of the full day. So we have that light for the day, and we just, we live into it, and we live out of it. So again, that was, that was, that was God using dreams in a dream, in a vision of the night. When deep sleep falls on men and they slumber in their beds, he opens our ears and seals our instruction to turn us from wrongdoing, to keep us back from the pit. So he was keeping me back from the pit of overwhelm, keeping me back from the gutter of distress, and enlightening me with the light of life. So just like just like he did for Job, he was doing for me. And so that's, that's how God will write his word on our hearts through dreams. Um, you know, he's going to move it from our head to our heart. So it's no longer just biblical truth. Now it's our truth. We own it. We've lived into it. We've experienced it. And, and we, we feel that it's true. And that changes everything. So if you guys kind of see how that works, I want you to say amen. amen. Awesome. And um, so God is awesome. I just want us to acknowledge that. Everybody, how about we say this after me? How about say... God, thank you for the dream form of meditation. Thank you for moving truth from my head to my heart. God, thank you for restoring your super to my natural. God, thank you for writing your word on my heart through dreams. Woohoo! Now, in this next section, I think um, some people are going to love this because we're going to look at creativity and dreams. Creativity and dreams. Woo! Um, you know, there was, there was actually a general who developed effective military strategies by listening to his dreams. Yeah, commanding officers were accustomed to hearing from him at like 3 a.m., you know, he would call up his, his secretary and, and he would say, okay, I just had a dream. This is what we're going to do. We have our battle strategy. So let's implement this. And it was said that he actually, he trusted his dreams more than he trusted the intel from his soldiers on the ground. So who was this military leader? General George Patton, who was actually one of the most successful military figures in U.S. history. Um, but there was a musician who received a melody for a song in his dream. And upon awakening, it was just so clear, and it was just complete. And he was sure that he must have heard this song somewhere in waking life. It was just too perfect. So, you know, he didn't, um, 
he didn't record it for a while. And finally his producer said, come on, you have got to record this. It is an original and it's awesome. So he went ahead and he recorded it. And um, the song that he received a melody for in his dream was the hit song, Yesterday. That musician who dreamt it, it was Paul McCartney of the Beatles. And that song he received in his dream, it swiftly became the most played song on American radio, a position it held for like eight consecutive years back in the 60s. Yeah. So uh, the last example I'll share is about a 22-year-old grad student at Stanford who had a dream. And in his dream, he somehow downloaded uh, the entire internet to his computer And once it was downloaded, he was able to see connections between the different uh, website addresses in a a new way. So he wakes up from this dream, and he writes down an algorithm based on what he had just seen in his dream. Well, that dreamer was Larry Page, the founder of Google. That algorithm he wrote down was the foundation of the Google search engine that he got in a dream. So that just reminds me of like Jacob in the striped sheep. Remember he had that crazy business idea, but he acted on it and he became exceedingly prosperous. The Bible says, how many know Larry Page, founder of Google, is exceedingly prosperous because he acted on the revelation that he got through his dream at night. So, you know, what do all these stories have in common? Um, We saw that that dreams come from their waking lives. You know, what they're working on during the day, what they've invested time in, um, then they get creative flashes of insight in those areas at night through their dreams. You know, they did their part during the day filling their the hard drive of their minds with, like, information. But then when they go to sleep at night, it's like the software of the Holy Spirit. Is, they, it's anointed. Uh, it turns into wisdom and revelation and understanding of how all the pieces kind of fit together in new ways. And we'll notice, you know, the, the computer programmer did not receive the, the musical melody, Right? I mean, the military commander, he did not receive the computer algorithm. It was whatever they were working on in waking life that God blessed that and anointed that through their dreams and gave them that revelation. Um, Anne Anne is is the daughter of one of my grad students in Belgium, and uh, she's an architect. And so she does this. You know, she obviously, you know, immerses herself in her work during the day, but when she goes to sleep at night, she puts a, a pad of paper and a pen right by her bed, and she'll, she'll receive um, pictures in the night in her dreams, like blueprints, you know, that she will wake up and sketch out so, she, so, they can, so they can build it. You know, so she's very literally receiving, like, blueprints from heaven. So that's, and I know that's what... Miss Nicole does when she has a situation, a problem, she needs to figure something out. She just, she'll go have a nap. She'll go to sleep at night and then she wakes up with this creative answer to her dreams. So this is awesome. This is exactly how God wants us to live out of his creative flow. And one of the easiest, most natural times for us to connect with that flow is through our dreams. So we ask God for the creative solution and the revelation to fix the problem, and then he'll just breathe on us in the night um, with with the Holy Spirit's perspective of that. But the 
The next thing we want to look at um, is super important. We want to explore the personal nature of dream symbols. The personal nature of dream symbols. and um, Okay, so the idea is symbols are personal to the dreamer. And I mean two things when I say that. Um, the first thing I mean is that the symbols are going to come from the dreamer's waking world. Like we see this in scripture. Um, remember Joseph, uh, he had in, the, in Genesis, um, he had the stars and the sun and the sky, and they were bowing down to him. That represented his family bowing down to him. And he had the sheaves of wheat, and they were bowing down to him. And then um, that, obviously he was a shepherd boy, right? So what surrounds a, a shepherd boy in the fields? Well, there's sheaves of wheat. So sheaves of wheat were from his waking world. God inserted that symbol into his dream at night. You know, and when he is... He's out there at night watching over the flocks. Well, he looks up and he sees stars. So there are stars from his waking world, and God put that in his dream. But see, like if you go over to Daniel, we look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He doesn't have stars or sheaves of wheat um, because he's actually, he's a king. He lives in a palace. And what surrounds a king in a palace? Statues of gold. That's what he dreamt of. He wasn't dreaming of stars and wheat. He was dreaming of statues of gold because that was a symbol from his waking world. And God inserted that into the dream. Um, but the, the second thing I mean when I say symbols are personal to the dreamer, this is actually the most important thing. This is one of the most important things I would say the whole uh, weekend about dreams is that um, symbols mean different things depending on who is dreaming them. Symbols mean different things depending on who is dreaming them. You know, for example, you know, I could dream of a beautiful lake. And to me, that would just be rest and peace and God's creation. And that would be awesome. But my grandma could dream of that exact same lake. And it would speak to fear because she almost drowned when she was a little girl in a lake. So it's the one symbol, but it means totally different things depending on who is dreaming it. So I don't know, have you guys ever tried, you know, you, you have a dream and you're like, oh, I want to understand what it means. And so like you jump online to a dream symbol dictionary or you, you know, look in a book and, oh, what does this symbol mean? And then after you've looked at that dictionary, you are more confused than you were before. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it, this symbol means what? It just doesn't feel right. And so here's the thing. It's not that those books are wrong. They are, they're right for the people who wrote them, okay? So maybe they do love lakes the way I do, but that doesn't take into account other people's experiences who are afraid of water. So they are accurate for them, but they, it means it to that person, and that's got nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with me, their perception of that symbol. Because we all have different histories, you know, with the symbol, we all have personal experiences and unique perceptions of what this animal means to us or what this place means to us or what this person means to us. And God knows that. He's intimately acquainted with us. So he will custom design and, and tailor make and hand pick symbols and insert them into our dream that mean exactly what he wants them to mean because he knows what they mean to us. And so this actually... 
this makes it easier. You know, dream symbols are not one size fits all. They're not universal. This symbol always means this for everyone at all times. And that actually makes dream interpretation easier, not harder. Because you wake up from the dream and you don't have to go online or you don't have to go look in a book and figure out what this symbol means. You just say, oh, what does it mean to me? And then then you're like, oh, okay, I know how I feel about this. And, and if you're not quite sure, you say, oh, well, God, what does this symbol mean? And he will give you the revelation. But it's you and God, and you don't need to bring in any other confusing third-party commentaries on this because it's, a, it's an intimate message between God and you, and he knows how to communicate it in a language that means something to you. So again, this is absolutely why you are the most qualified person to interpret your dreams because you know what those symbols mean to you better than anyone else. Biblically, we absolutely see this. Symbols, you know, meaning different things at different times. So for example, scripturally, we've got the symbol of yeast. What does yeast represent in the Bible? Sin. Absolutely. The, the yeast of the um, Pharisees, hypocrisy, malice, wickedness. If we have a Bible, dream symbol dictionary, it is absolutely going to say sin uh, yeast is sin. Yeast equals evil. Except for when Jesus said, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman hid in the lump of dough and it permeated the whole lump. So we've got one symbol. It's yeast. And it is either evil or it's the kingdom of heaven. It could go either way, right? Okay, how about a lion? Scripturally speaking, in the Bible, what does a lion represent? Jesus. Lion of the tribe of Judah. Woohoo! I want a lion in my dream. Yes, it does say that. And then it also, over in Peter, says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we have one symbol, lion. And it's either Jesus or it's Satan. It could go either way. So we cannot say that a lion equals this or yeast equals this because even in the Bible, we see them used in different ways. So we just rely on the Holy Spirit. It says in Genesis 48 um, that Joseph said dream interpretations, they belong to God, right? It's, and it was in Daniel, it talks about how it was the spirit of God in Daniel that made him able to interpret dreams. So we are just relying on God. We are relying on the Holy Spirit within us to decrypt and decode and translate the message that he's speaking at night. Because, you know, here's another example. Like a dog. You know, if you are, if you are a dog lover and you have a, a pet in your family, oh, you've always had a dog. They're, they're, you love them. They're like a member of your family. But if you were like viciously mauled and attacked by a dog when you were a kid, okay, that's not going to speak to friendship. It's not my best friend, you know? It's, it speaks to fear. You're really scared of it. Um, or like in the dream we shared last night, um, my student, she dreamt of the dogs and that represented something demonic to her. You know, or if you're like, um, if you're like my friend Tina, she is actually blind, um, but it's it's pretty cool. She lives um, very independently because she has a seeing eye dog. So she's like the worship leader at her church, and she, she has her own condo, and it's her and Nola. And because she has Nola, her seeing eye dog, she, she can do all of these things. And so to her, a dog wouldn't even just represent friendship. I mean, it would represent her sight. It would represent her independence. 
Okay, so you have one symbol, and it's a dog, and it's either going to speak of your best friend, or it's going to speak to fear, or it's going to speak to something demonic, or it's going to speak to your sight and independence, depending on who is dreaming it. So I just want to share one um, personal story of this, um, and the story is going to freak you out. And I want to share it with you because you are never going to forget this story. And as a result, you will never forget this principle for dream interpretation. So um, here's the deal. I love missions. Um, Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, that is the heartbeat of God. So, you know, I always, you know, in my teens and 20s especially, I was always going everywhere, you know, here for a couple months or there, all over, whatever God was up to in the world. I wanted to go have an, an adventure with him. So uh, one summer, um, that took me to a closed country in Asia, and um, it was really awesome. But we, we, couldn't, we couldn't just go there and say, hey, we want to come and tell everybody about Jesus and get them saved. Um, the government wouldn't like that. So instead, we went in um, as a cultural exchange program, and uh, we went in to learn the language, and we were doing kind of like friendship evangelism. And it was really cool. You know, we, we got matched up with language partners, and you know, then we were learning their culture, but as we developed the friendship, we were able to just share our lives and our faith together and in that kind of organic environment. It was really awesome. I loved the country. I loved the people. And um, as part of what we did, in addition to learning, like, the language, we learned, like I said, the culture. So um, that involved uh, one afternoon we had a, a cooking demonstration where we could actually learn to make some of their authentic cuisine, which was awesome. I love Asian food. So I was really excited. So we were staying at a university and um, dormitory, and so we went to the, the cafeteria of where we were staying, and um, we went kind of into the back of the kitchen and so we're, we're going to the back of the room, and so, you know, going through the kitchen, and I just happen to, like, look over here, and there's, like, the stoves and everything cooking, and then there's, like, a pot. And it wasn't just, like, a pot. It was, like, a, it was like a pot. It was, like, a cauldron. And the cauldron, it was full of boiling water. And in the boiling water was a dog. It was a dog. It was like a whole entire, I mean, it's like tail and its legs were sticking up out of it. I mean, it didn't have its fur anymore, but it was, a, it was a dog they were cooking for dinner. And, you know, in our Western culture, we're just like not really comfortable with that. Um, I understand. Um, but, but here's the thing. See, we're really uncomfortable with that. And that seems strange to us. But you know what we do eat? We eat pig. Pig? See, no, see, we don't even want to admit that we eat pig, though, because we have all these euphemisms. We say we're eating pork, we're eating ham, we're eating bacon, we're eating sausage, we're eating pepperoni. We don't want to say that we're eating pig. I mean, we don't have all these euphemisms for chicken, right? We just say, oh, I'm eating chicken. So it's, you know, the same way we feel about eating a dog there is actually, there's a whole group of people that feel that exact same way about eating a pig. And it's actually a nation of people. It's the Jews. Okay, because those verses in Leviticus that said, hey, this is unclean. This is not fit for human consumption. They actually believe them. They actually believe that God had our best interest in mind and their health in mind when he said, this isn't really good for you. 
And there are even some Christians who believe that, you know, all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. Okay, so, but what am I saying? What am I saying? (laughs) Yeah, the thing is, you can have one symbol, and it's a dog. And if one person dreams of the dog, it is the beloved darling of their family. And if another person dreams of that exact same dog, it could represent dinner. Okay? So it is totally relative. It is entirely subjective. It is, it's just cultural. And it's always, always, always personal to the dreamer. So the question that we never ask is, what does this symbol mean? The only question we always ask is, what does this symbol mean to the dreamer? What does this symbol mean to the dreamer? So if you guys understand the importance of that distinction, I want you to say amen. Okay, if you are never going to forget this principle, say amen. Good. Yes, ma'am. Um, I, we, we were making something else, so we didn't eat the, in the cafeteria, I don't think, ever again. No, we didn't. <laughs> Good question. Um, exactly, you know, that's very true. Um, and so, so yeah, in my, in my book, I actually have a whole section on why, why dreams you know, why the symbols are personal to the dreamer. And we have a whole chapter on creativity and dreams. So whatever you're most interested in, I'm kind of just touching a little bit on a lot of things. We're going to move into um, nightmares and children's dreams. I just want to touch on each of those a little bit tonight, but there's whole chapters in the book on that. So if that's what you're interested in, um, definitely you can go to those sections. Um, but as far as nightmares, you know, how do I talk about the blessing of nightmares? Yeah, why, why all bad dreams aren't? actually. Um, Because we may recall that the Abrahamic covenant was established in a dream. We talked about that last night. But if we look carefully at Genesis 15, it tells us that when Abram fell into a deep sleep, great terror came upon him. At the same time, and you know, we know the dictionary, it defines a nightmare as a terrifying dream. So we would say that Abram had a nightmare. And Normally, we think of nightmares as bad. However, he met with God in his nightmare. And God gave him a promise and established a covenant with him in that nightmare. And it's, it's a covenant that we benefit from even still today. So this shows us how God can speak through even scary dreams. And he can use them in our lives so we just want to explore a little bit of about nightmares, like why we have them and what to do about them and potential blessings available through them. So one reason why we have bad dreams is to warn us. Um, you know, we, we want to honor dreams and we understand that um, they're showing us something and sometimes they're just, they're showing us what will happen if we continue down the path that we are on. So if we are in disobedience, God might give us a prophetic dream and it's showing, hey, where you're headed, this is not good. And it's not fatalistic. We honor dreams and we believe the message is true, but if it's showing us this bad negative ending, it's not because that's going to happen for sure. It's like if we continue down this road in disobedience, that's what's going to happen. And so if we repent 
then we go down a different path, and then we will have a good ending. We don't have to meet with that bad ending. So we know that dreams are prophetic, and, and prophecy is conditional based on man's response. Just like, just like Jonah, right? He's told Nineveh, you guys are done. God is judging you. But then they repented, and then the judgment was averted. So God will do the same thing with our dreams. He'll just give us a warning dream to just shift us back on track. He just fast-forwards us so we can see the, the consequences of where we're headed. So, you know, for example, um, I'll just share uh, how it works in my life. God had been telling me over and over again in um, waking life that this was, this was years ago, that the, the relationship I was in, um, I didn't need to be in it anymore. God's like, you know, it's, this isn't going anywhere, so you can just remove yourself from this situation. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I got that, and I'm, I'm going to obey you, but just not quite yet. And so I'm just going to do my own thing, and I'm doing my own thing. And God's like, no, seriously, um, now would be an awesome time for you to listen to me. He's like, you don't want to go where this is headed, so just, you know, end this relationship. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, you know, eventually, but I wasn't, I wasn't obeying. So God in his mercy and in his compassion for my stubborn, prideful, rebellious soul gave me a nightmare. And in the nightmare, it was like whitewater rapids. Okay. I was all by myself. I was not in a raft. I did not have a life preserver. It was just me and these raging rapids. They were you know, tossing me to and fro. There are jagged rocks. There's like a waterfall up ahead that I'm going to crash over. So I'm just like terrified. I know this is going to end badly. And so I wake up from this dream and I'm just like, you know, my, my heart is beating. My palms are sweaty. I'm so scared. I'm, I'm clearly distraught. And God's just like, see, told you, you know, if you would have listened to me the first 10 times I told you this in waking life, I wouldn't have had to scream it in your heart through a dream. Okay, so point taken. He used that dramatic picture and even a scary picture because it engaged my emotions, which caused me to change my course of action. It got my attention. So, okay, I get it. I will obey you. I see that's not where I want to go. So now I'm going to change my course because it was a dramatic, impactful picture. And so I'm like, okay, now, now I'm going to do it. I see what you're saying, God. So pictures uh, move our emotions and emotions move us to action. Another reason that we have nightmares is to expose negative emotions so that we can be healed of them. Um, you know, if we're mad or fearful or anxious uh, during the day, um, that's going to translate to God highlighting those emotions to us um, at night through our dreams because he doesn't want us to just ignore those negative feelings. He doesn't just want us to deny them or repress them. Um, he wants us to acknowledge them and confess them so he can heal us of them. You know, the Lord will give a, a dream that highlights any negativity that we haven't processed with him before we went to sleep in order to keep us from being vulnerable to attack. Because it says, you know, it says in Ephesians, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger, 
um, because that'll give a place to the devil. You know, when it says in Corinthians, we need to forgive everyone of everything because we don't want to be ignorant of Satan's schemes. So anger, it might not seem like a big thing, or forgiveness. I mean, those are just emotions. But God is saying, hey, those negative emotions, they give an opportunity for, for the devil to influence you. And so, you know, we might go to bed like just a little bit upset. Like maybe, like maybe somebody did something to me and it kind of, it bothered me a little bit, but I'm just like, ah, whatever. But I just, I was a little bit off about it and I didn't process it. I didn't forgive the person. I didn't pray about it. Nothing. I just went to bed. So then I might have a dream that I'm like, like running over this person with my car, like something really dramatic and something because dreams will amplify and exaggerate to get our attention. So that is a very amplified action. It's an exaggerated emotion because God is highlighting, hey, there is a little bit of something in your heart. It shouldn't be there. So it's like this big red flag. Hey, how about some prayer work that you can do with me? That would be awesome. So we don't miss it and we don't ignore it and deny it. Um, you know, for another example is uh, one time I had a dream and it was a nightmare. It was super scary. And I was, I was in um, our house, but I was home alone and Leah wasn't there, no friends or family. And it was dark. It was at night in the dream. And I looked out all of the windows, every window of our house. And there's like woods by our house. And in the dark, all I could see staring back at me were eyes. There were all of these eyes. And I didn't know whose eyes they were. I didn't know if they were people with guns. I didn't know if it was a pack of angry wolves. But I just, they were all looking at me and I knew they were out to get me. And I was so scared. And the biggest reason that I was scared is because I was all alone. Leah wasn't there to help me, to save me or protect me. So it was just me. So the biggest feeling of this dream, it was just that I was, I was isolated and all by myself. And that's what God was wanting to highlight, that in waking life, in, in an area of my life, I was feeling all alone, and it, like, it was just me against the whole world. And see, that was, that was a real feeling, but it wasn't a true feeling. I really did feel alone, but I'm never alone. You know, Jesus never leaves me or forsakes me, and of course, my family loves me, and my friends support me. So God will give us dreams and nightmares that they show us and amplify a feeling that's real, but he wants to highlight that because he wants to move us over into a feeling that's true, his feelings of acceptance and that we are protected and that I was never alone. And so I can live into that. So he highlights this so that I can pray and get his perspective and be healed of that negative feeling that I was experiencing in waking life. So I wouldn't deny it um, or repress it or ignore it any longer. So a lot of times, these bad dreams, they're just a red flag from the Spirit letting us know there's something we need to surrender to Him. So, you know, before I go to sleep now at night, because I just want to prevent anything like that at all, I will just, I run through my day super quick. You know, is there anything that I am upset about? Anything, you know, any event that happened, any conversation? And I will just confess, you know, any wrong emotions to the Lord. I will agree with His perspective of that situation or um, or that person, whatever he has to say about it, and let I'll just get his his point of view on it, so that I can go to sleep. I want to be thankful 
in all things and for all things. So I need to see the blessing in every interaction and everything that happened. I need to be grateful for all of it. Then I can go to sleep in gratitude, and then I'm going to have a lot more peaceful dreams at night. Um, and then the last, um, I'll just quickly mention another last reason that we may have dream, uh, bad dreams is um, demonization. Um, you know, if we have been had a lot of trauma um, and there is painful situations, sometimes that can open the door to demonic influence in our life. And, you know, my dad, um, he, was, he was a Christian, he was a pastor for years, and then all of a sudden he was... He, he, had a, he had a reoccurring nightmare for 15 years. And, um, and one day then, finally, he was reading in the Bible and realized, oh, Christians can be demonized. So he's like, oh, he gathered all his elders together. He's like, guys, cast this demon of fear out of me. And so they did. And then he never had that nightmare ever again. So that's another, that's a simple thing. It's definitely something to prayerfully consider if that's like the root cause possibly of the, the bad dreams. So we want to understand that the dream is just revealing our heart, what is going on down there, and it's trying to get our attention. So nightmares, you know, as scary as they may be, they can still have messages from God. They can still have potential blessings in them. So we definitely want to, we want to pray into them and honor them and the message and receive whatever whatever ministry that dream is calling to. You know, a lot of times it's just the cry of an unhealed heart and that God is just wanting, um, wanting us to invite his presence into. So now we just, we want to talk briefly about kids' dreams. Um, uh, we want to address the issue of nightmares, scary dreams for kids, but actually uh, look at, demonstrate the validity of all children's dreams. Um, we need to answer the question, first of all, you know, does God speak to kids in their dreams? Absolutely. Is there a minimum age requirement to hear from God? No way. Luke one fifteen talks about John the Baptist and that he was filled with the Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Okay, so there's no child too young to hear from God. Um, to get revelation from him during the day and during the night. Kids can definitely be connecting with God through their dreams. Um, The big question is, how do you interpret children's dreams? The same way you interpret adults' dreams. So there's three questions we ask in our dream decoder. What's the first question? We ask, what is the setting? Exactly. What is the setting? What is going on in the child's waking life? And then what is the second thing we ask about it? What is the... What is the action? And then, yes, the third one, what is the emotion? Very good. All three of those. Um, We look at that, and we ask the children. And it's really, it's awesome to look at children's dreams because they reveal the child's heart, even in ways that the child themselves cannot express. A lot of times they cannot verbalize or articulate, you know, the nuances of the complex emotions that their little hearts are feeling. But if they can tell you about a dream, well, then you, you do see how they're feeling. You understand what's going on in their hearts. So, you know, you can ask them to, you know, t- have them tell you about the dream. They could draw the dream out for you. They could act out the dream. That's a really fun way to do it. So however, you know, you want to get that from them, but you just definitely want to have the conversation with them. And we want to honor children's dreams and the feelings that are expressed in them. Um, we want to honor their dreams in waking life and then definitely um, honor the feelings that are expressed through their their dreams at night. Uh, 
it was funny. There was a pastor at one of the seminars, and he said, well, you know, my little kids, my boys are like three and five, so they're dreaming of army men. He's like, seriously, how is there a message here? You know, what am I supposed to do with army men? I'm like, that's awesome. There are so many things God could be speaking through the army men, because remember, God uses symbols from the dreamer's waking world, and he inserts them into the dream, because they mean something to the dreamer. So to your five-year-old boy, they got army men. So God could be God could be talking to them about being soldiers in his army, right? He could be talking, wanting to talk to them about the armor of God, right? Taking up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. He could be wanting to talk to them about the angel armies that guard and protect them. There's so many awesome things that could be symbolized through the army men. Um, or how about um, Disney princesses? You know, if your little girl dreams of a Disney princess, we might, you know, you might question that and think, oh, that doesn't mean anything. Well, that means a lot. Because you know what? Your your daughter, your granddaughter, they're supernatural royalty, right? They are a child of the king. So they are a princess. So a Disney princess, Cinderella, that's something they could identify with. They could understand, ooh, she's special. She's the chosen one. She's loved. And oh, that's how God sees me. It's their identity and who they are in him. So that would be a very appropriate kid-sized symbol for this awesome spiritual truth that God is wanting to write on your little girl's heart. Um. In the book, I I share this long, epic saga dream story from my niece, and it's all about Darth Vader and the stormtroopers. And we might say, oh, man, you know, too many movies these kids are watching. And But you know what? If God God wants to get his message through to, like, a little 8-year-old Star Wars fan, he was actually he was speaking to her about spiritual warfare. Because, you know, Darth Vader, he's the bad guy. So he represented Satan. And so in her dream, God actually gave her supernatural keys to defeat Darth Vader and the stormtroopers, and that were keys to spiritual warfare that she could use in her waking life. So he just used symbols, and they're kid-sized, kid-friendly symbols, but that doesn't mean that they're not important and that God's not speaking through them. Um, my cousin Olia, uh, she, she had a dream about fighting a dragon, a big, scary dragon. And she's like, well, obviously that's a pizza dream. That doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, no, no, let's look at this. And and so we talked about it. What's obviously the biggest action Well, she's fighting, right? And she um, she's feeling like it's kind of a losing battle. Those are the emotion and the, the action of the dream. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's look at the setting. What's going on in your waking life? Well, in waking life, um, she and her husband uh, were... They were kind of, they were fighting they were with uh, the insurance company. They were, um, they had put in some legitimate medical claims for their daughter, um, and they weren't sure that it was going to work out in their favor, and it was this struggle. And I'm like, well, that's it right there. You know, you see this, um, this big insurance company, they're big, they're powerful, they're like the dragon, and you're just the little guy. And, you know, we might wonder, well, why does why would it be a dragon? Because, you know, dragons don't exist. Well, there's a lot of reasons it could be a dragon, you know, because if she was reading the book of Revelation, 
there's a dragon in there. So that would be a symbol from her waking world. But was, for her, she was reading a storybook to her little boy. There was a dragon in that. So that was a symbol from her waking world, but it was an encouraging message because I'm like, see what God is showing you? You feel like the little guy and you're struggling against the big insurance company that seems you know, a lot stronger and more powerful than you, but we know the dragons never win. You know, whoever's fighting the dragon, the little guy, they always win. You know, it's like David and Goliath. And so I said, God is giving you this to encourage you. And so she was. She she appreciated that, and it did work out that way, that God worked it out with the insurance company. And so um, it was just a little, it was a blessing, an encouraging word from God, and it seemed like a crazy dream, but there was, there was still meaning hidden inside of that. Um, but we know, you know, not all kids' dreams are happy. You know, there's nightmares and night terrors, and there's different reasons for that. Obviously, the setting is just as important for little kids and even more so because whatever they are exposed to, movies, music, you know, it, it imprints on them. Because we talked about this, they're, they're just in alpha state. They're in this meditative state up until the age of seven. So whatever they see or hear, it just goes right into their spirit. So they are super sensitive to the spiritual realm. And that is awesome. It's a gift. That's the way God created them. So we might, even as adults, we're just kind of living too much out of our heads, but they live out of their hearts. So they pick up on what is going on in the in the spirit realm. And so sometimes they might have a bad dream and that we can honor that and say, oh, um, I mean, there's, there's stories in the book of, you know, they would have dreams of nightmares. They went to this place where um, this family, um, they went to on a missions trip and the kids had dreams of like nightmare, massacre, bloody, messy stuff. And they talked to the pastor there and he's like, yeah, there was all of this bloodshed from what they saw in their dream literally happened like 200 years ago. And so they're like, okay, that's what we need to pray for. That's why we're here. And so they did, um, you know, repentance and identified with that. And they did intercessory prayer um, to pray through all of this stuff that had happened way back when based on the children's dreams and what they saw in their nightmares. And after they prayed, then the, the children didn't have the nightmares anymore after that. So we can definitely, kids are getting awesome revelation. And if we honor that, then we can... We can benefit from that, and we can um, help partner with them to release. That's, that's God wanting to release the kingdom of heaven and his peace on earth through them, through the revelation. Um, and just like us, we want to definitely help our kids process their days before they go to bed at night. You know, so if they are feeling overwhelmed by anything, we want to help them get God's perspective. You know, if they have felt, you know, that maybe they were bullied, maybe something bad happened, we just even want to do a little bit of quick inner healing with them before they go to sleep at night. And then they don't need to have that bad dream anymore because we've honored that negative emotion. We've confessed it and let God heal it. You know, for for example, you know, a, a little kid, you know, well, you know, at the playground today, you know, all the kids were going up on the slide, but I tried to climb up, but I was too scared and all the kids laughed at me and I felt really bad. And so they feel that. And so you say, okay, well, let's go back to that picture. Well, where was Jesus on the playground? And what was he doing? Look around for Jesus. And kids are so good at this, and they will do it. And he's like, oh, I see Jesus. And, and he calls me over to the swings, and Jesus is pushing me on the swings, and Jesus is telling me knock-knock jokes because Jesus is so fun. And, and the kids are over there saying something, but I don't even hear what they're saying because we're laughing so hard, and, and we're having a good time. 
And so we've just moved, uh, taken a, a scene from their past that didn't have Jesus in them, and it was painful and embarrassing and hard for them. And now it's been replaced. And here there's this awesome scene, and they see Jesus with them. And so now they can be confident and peaceful and joyful and grateful when they go to sleep at night. And then they don't need to have a bad dream that highlights any negative emotion because it's already been surrendered to God and healed up. So that is an awesome way to help your children have more peaceful dreams at night. Um, other, you know, really practical things, obviously, if, if your kids are, you know, kids that you love are having bad dreams, you want to anoint their room with oil. You know, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Invite his presence. Play worship music, soaking music. You know, they have scripture lullabies specifically just for playing um, at night to give your children, you know, sweet sleep in the night. Um, read Bible stories to them right before they go to bed. Because we know whatever we're thinking about right before we go to sleep, that has a really big influence and impact on our dreams. So the last thing we want our kids picturing at night is the Bible stories. And, you know, we'll teach them to look around in the spirit realm and say, well, where... Where is Jesus with you, or where are your angels? Because the Bible says the angels are camped round about you. They've set up camp. They're not going anywhere. So where, where is Jesus in your room? Oh, Jesus Jesus is sitting on my bed, and he's tickling me, and we're laughing. And Okay, well, where are the angels? Oh, well, there's a big angel, and he's right by the window. There's another big angel. So, well, what do they look like? Oh, they have strong muscles. Well, can anybody get you? No, nobody can get me because the angels are here. So if they can go to sleep looking into the spirit realm and seeing that truth, because all that stuff, that's what the Bible says is true. Jesus is with them. The angels have been given charge over them. And if they look into the supernatural realm and see that, and that's what they're meditating on, that's where the little hearts are pondering as they fall asleep at night, then they're not going to be able to have bad dreams. They're going to have peaceful, sweet sleep and dreams from heaven. And I had at least uh, one mom already this weekend share with me how her children— uh, her son does often go to heaven in his dreams at night, and he meets with Jesus. So that's that's awesome. Um, my niece, I asked her, I, I emailed her not long ago, and I said, hey, how are your angels? Um, she's like nine years old, and, and Becca's like, oh, my angels have been rocking me to sleep by singing lullabies to me. And so I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's going to bring you some pretty peaceful sleep. Um, and that's that's... That's angels taking charge over you, right? That's angels camped round about you, and they're ministering spirits, and so that's what they are doing. Um, they're blessing her in that way. And so we can just teach our kids to use Jesus' name, you know, take authority. We teach them, you know, they're, they're anointed. They're superheroes, right? And they have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which gives them superpowers. And Jesus in them is stronger than any any force, any enemy against them. So if anything happens to them, they can just say, stop, I arrest you in Jesus' name. Um, there was one little girl, her name was Angelica. She was six, and she used to have really scary dreams. Like she would draw them out, like of dragons and stuff attacking her. But her mom taught her how to take authority over it and how to call on Jesus. And so then she, there would be dragons, but then she would call on Jesus. And so then she would go to heaven and in heaven, there weren't any dragons. Instead, there were dragonflies. Dragonflies. So that just shows that the things that are really scary to us without Jesus, when we're with Jesus in his presence, well, nothing is scary then. Um, you know, the, the same thing, you know, she would see the angels come in her dreams. There would be like kind of the bad guys, but she would call on Jesus, then the angels would come and put the bad guys in jail. 
Um, but my most favorite thing um, that she she dreamt is when she she dreamt that there were monsters chasing her and the other kids. So they they prayed in her dream and they called on Jesus. And so then all of a sudden a bubble appeared. And so all the kids climbed into the bubble and the bubble went up to heaven. And she said that when the they got to heaven, that then all the monsters had to say they were sorry. <laughs> had to say they were sorry. And I thought, yes, see, that is awesome. That is like Colossians 2.15, right? Because we know, I mean, Jesus has disarmed all the principalities and powers. He's made a public display of them, triumphing over them. Well, how are you going to take that weighty scriptural spiritual truth and write it on a six-year-old girl's heart? Monsters having to say they're sorry. That's pretty impactful. That's something that she's going to remember. She can understand that. So Jesus saved the day. He's her hero. She knows she can always count on him because she's experienced it in her dreams. And so she'll be able to live into that and live out of it then during her waking life too. So... um. So in summary of the children's section, we just want to realize that God is speaking. We do want to honor our children's dreams, and we'll just do, this will be our, our, um, our last declarations for this evening, but you guys can say this after me. We'll speak some truth and some life over ourselves. Say, uh, kids are prophetic and sensitive to the supernatural. Say, God speaks to children in their dreams. Say, I will honor children's visions of the night. And I will help them interpret God's messages to them. Amen. So, um, you know, I just, I honor you guys. I bless you guys for, for being here because it just shows how hungry you are for God's presence and God's voice. You know, hearing God's voice all day long, it's not enough for you. You want to hear God's voice all night long too. And so that's really awesome. And I think, you know, through the teaching and, you know, the book and stuff, we've made it really, really simple for you to be able to hear from him every night. And I just want to encourage you. I, I hope you feel that it is simple. Um, but with, I'll just share one story, kind of a testimony from a friend of mine. Uh, her name is Lynn. And she's actually a new friend of mine. Uh, my husband, Leo, and her husband were friends for a few years. And just this last October, I met her for the first time. The two couples had a dinner date. And, um, no, oh, okay. Maybe it was, okay, it was like the previous October, but whatever. It wasn't very long ago. Um, well, it was when I was working on writing the book that has now just come out. And uh, so at the dinner table, Leo was telling, um, telling him, oh, yeah, Charity's working on this book on dreams. And to my face, this lady was really nice. She's like, oh, that's, that's great. But later I found out she thought it was totally crazy. She's like, what? Dreams? She's like, she did not think that, you know, Christians should be involved in anything like this. Dream interpretation? You know, she did not realize that there was anything about dreams in the Bible and really wasn't at all sure about it. But... But it was really cool because she had a friend. Um, you know how we hear these awesome stories about former Muslims who have dreams of Jesus and then their hearts are softened to the gospel and they get saved? So she had a friend, a really good friend, who grew up in Afghanistan and he was a Muslim. He was one of those guys. And Jesus kept showing up in his dreams at night, softened his heart to the gospel. He got saved and he's been getting his whole family saved. And so she's like, okay, well, I guess God maybe sometimes could possibly speak through dreams. 
And so what she said, she's like, because of that friendship, she said to me, you know, I'm a teacher. And so if you would like, I know the publisher is going to, you know, do an official edit, but if you want me to kind of just do a first run, like proofing of your book, she's like, "I, I would do that. And I said, oh, that will be great. I took her up on the offer. I said, I appreciate that. So, you know, she was not familiar at all with hearing God's voice during the day. She certainly was not familiar with hearing God's voice through your dreams. It's all brand new stuff to her. And so I emailed her like a rough draft of the manuscript. And um, back and forth, we talked a little bit. And that was like in October. And then in December, uh, we, were having, we were at a, a Christmas party. And she leaned over to me and she's like, Charity. I counted up my days. She's like, it's been 40 days since I started to read your book. And in those 40 days, I've had 85 dreams. And I have 85 interpretations. I'm like, yes, it works. So it does not have to be hard for you guys. We made it super, super simple. You just put it into practice and you just, you know, ask what's the key setting? What's the emotion? You can decrypt it. You can decode it. And I trust, I trust you feel, you know, we're kind of winding down here. I just want to wrap up a couple things. We've covered a lot of ground, but I trust you already, you realize you know more than enough to understand your dreams. You know more than enough to decrypt and decode them. But I just want to um, look at uh, some practical tips to help with three specific questions that people do often ask, which is uh, what to do if you can't remember your dreams Um, what to do if you remember too many dreams, like long epic saga dreams every night, and what to do if you get stuck with the interpretation. So, you know, you might say, I don't dream. You know, how can all this work for me if I don't even have any dreams? So actually, um, the problem is not that you don't have dreams. The problem is just that you're not remembering them. Um, Because science has shown us that every single one of us do dream every single night. And they've actually, in sleep laboratories, they've done studies where they've deprived people of um, alpha-level dream time sleep. And if if you, if they, you know, they're, they're hooked up to electrodes, the whole thing, so they know exactly when you start dreaming. And so if they let you sleep and let you sleep, but as soon as you start to dream, they wake you up. And they do that. Within three days, you will start to have a mental nervous breakdown if you are deprived of dream time sleep. It is that important to us physiologically, emotionally, in every way. So um, we all do cycle through alpha level sleep um, every single night. And so we just need to improve our dream recall. That's, that's the only, um, that's the, it's the simple thing that we need to take care of. It's not that we're not having dreams. So uh, several things we can do to improve um, our dream recall, internal tips in our hearts. We need, to, we need to say, I believe in dreams. I believe in dreams. You know, if we have disdained them or dishonored them, we repent and we say, okay, God, I see how you see dreams. You speak through them. So I honor them. And um, we just, we decide to look at dreams the way God does as a valuable, important, communicative medium for, for heavenly downloads every night. We also want to ask for them. We know that the Bible says we have not because we ask not. So we ask for them and we ask in faith because according to our faith, it's done unto us. So that means we go to sleep expecting 
fully expecting to receive awesome revelation from heaven every night. We just pray, God, make Numbers 12, 6 a reality. You said you will reveal yourself in visions. You will speak to me in dreams. So that's what I want. I want your word in my life. And he will be faithful to that. He watches over his word to perform it. Um, and then really practical things. Um, we've talked about when you go to sleep at night, put a journal right by your bed. Have it open to a blank page. Have a pen there. Um, I even have a, they, they sell these light-up pens where you just click on it and the tip of it, it lights up. So you don't even need to turn on like a light or wake up your spouse or anything. Just, yeah, so you can... You can jot it down or, you know, say it right into your, your phone, however you want to. Just get it recorded somehow. But by putting out pen and paper, by planning to do that, that is a signal to your heart that you honor dreams. And so it will wake you up when you have that dream. Um, try to get eight hours of sleep every single night. I mean, we know that that's optimal just for physical health, but it's actually optimal for dream work as well. Um, because we cycle through. Um, alpha is when we, right now we're in beta. That's a fast, logical brainwave state. And when we fall asleep, we get into alpha, which is slower, meditative, reflective state, and that's when we have dreams. And then as we're sleeping, we cycle down into theta, and then delta is the deepest level. Every 90 minutes, we cycle back up to alpha. We have a little bit of dream time sleep. And then we cycle down through, and then in 90 minutes, we come back up, and we have an even extended, a little bit more time of dream time sleep. So all throughout the night, we're having a little bit of dreams, because you might wake up at 3 o'clock, and you, you just remember a dream, and that's awesome, so you jot it down. But if we sleep for a full eight hours, then by the time we get to the end, that last full hour is going to be all alpha, dream time sleep. We'll have all kinds of dreams that we'll wake up with and remember. So it's, um, it's actually it's perfect for recovering workaholics. Um, one lady who came to the seminar, she's just like, this is awesome. You know, I always used to see sleep as a waste of time, you know, but now I'm accomplishing something with my sleep. Now I, I see it's, you know, sleep and receiving dreams is one of the most spiritual things that I can do. So sleep is sacred. Um, and we talked about this in the school of ministry, how important it is to awaken naturally. Like alarm clocks, those obnoxious loud ones, they shatter dream recall. So, I mean, I get, we all have schedules to keep. We have places to go and things to do. And so, you know, I, I, I set an alarm every night, but I hardly ever wake up to it. Because not waking up to an alarm, it's less about when you wake up as much as it is about when you go to sleep, which is something we can control. So if we are disciplined about going to sleep at a certain time, our body is going to kind of get into a rhythm and a cycle of, okay, Eight hours later, it's going to naturally wake us up. And if it doesn't, we can have gentle alarm clocks, like dream-friendly alarm clocks. Um, one of them they have now is actually a, like a, it mimics the sun. And it's a little, it's usually a circle. And it will get brighter and brighter, like progressively until the time you want to wake up, it's like bright enough in the room that you naturally awaken. So that's pretty cool, and that's a, a very, you know, non-obtrusive way to do it. It's like a natural way to do it. Um, or you just, like I have, I have like nature sounds, and it just starts out really quietly, like rain or ocean waves, and just kind of gets a little progressively louder and progressively louder, so it's gentle. So instead of like obliterating the dream, you know, maybe the rain gets incorporated into the dream, but at least I remember it. 
And so um, JoJo um, was shared her testimony because she's like, well, I don't remember my dreams anymore. I used to, but we talked about this. And she's like, oh, I have a really loud alarm clock. So then she she's changed it and she got a quieter, gentler, just like progressively, you know, louder, soft song. And then she remembered her dreams for the last couple nights. So yes. So it's super simple. If you know the things to do, you can do them and then you can get that revelation and receive the, the heavenly downloads every single night. Um, praying in the spirit as you're awakening is another really great way to just keep you connected with the flow. Um, the dream was given, you know, it's from, from your spirit, from your heart. And so that will keep you centered into that prayerful state as you're waking up. Um, the second problem then is if you remember too much and a lot people come to me all the time, they're like, if I wrote down everything from all of my dreams every night, it would be a full-time job. I have so many dreams. So they're kind of overwhelmed. I don't want to miss any revelation that God has. What am I supposed to do? So we can do what Daniel did in Daniel 7, 1. It says that he kept summaries of his dreams, summaries of his dreams. So we don't need to have like the whole long thing. We can just, we can have like a paragraph, like the reader's digest version of our dream. And that's going to capture the the core really the most that, that, and we'll be able to get like most of the revelation God has for us from that, that small amount. We can also realize that in a single night, several different dreams are all usually speaking to one heart issue. And it's just showing us different angles and perspective of the same situation, of the same thing God is wanting to talk to us about. And we see that biblically in Genesis. Um, Remember Pharaoh, he had the dream of like seven fat cows, and then he had a dream about seven withered stalks. And that seems really different, you know, cows and stalks. But Joseph's like, yeah, they're one and the same. You know, it actually, it's all about this upcoming famine that's going to happen. So we can realize, we can just zero in on like um, the most impactful dream of the night or else the very last one. Just work with one of them. We don't need um, to decode everyone and we'll still get God's revelation to us um, from the night. And then the last thing we're going to look at is just if you're stuck on the interpretation, you know, you've kind of done your daisy dream work method and, you know, you've pondered it, but it's just not clicking. Well, we just, you want to keep pondering it and meditating on it and praying into it until it really feels right, until it resonates in your heart. Because if, if it doesn't click, then you really don't have the, the message yet. And, um, so an incredibly helpful key is how you say things. Um, we talked about this the other night, how you describe it. The specific wording that you use really unlocks the dream. Because remember, I had the dream about where I was trying to pole vault, which doesn't really make any sense. But then we said, oh, well, I was trying to get over something. That's the exact same thing, but it's just I'm describing it with different words, and automatically that unlocks what area of my life the dream is speaking to. You know, or if I'm, you know, am I standing... Am I standing on a street corner or, or am I at a crossroads? Oh, well, that's totally different. I am at a crossroads because I've got this big decision about this job or moving over here. So it's not a street corner. It's, oh, I'm at a crossroads. I'm making this big decision. Then I know it's about this area of my life. Um, so in summary, I, I know we've, we've looked at what to do with dream recall and what to do with long dreams, how to get unstuck. Um, 
as we close out this final session, I, I trust you feel empowered and equipped um, to understand your dreams. I, you understand that you are the very best person to work with your dreams. You're the most qualified interpretation expert of your dreams because you know the setting better than anyone. You know, you know what the symbols mean better than anyone. So you are the best person to understand and make sense of the, the dreams God gives you. And um, as I was preparing these sessions, you know, figuring out what to say, it was going pretty well. And so I'm just like, well, thank you, God. You know, thank you for helping me. And he's like, oh, no, thank you. He's like, thank you for teaching my kids how to understand everything I'm wanting to share with them. Because at my heart, I pour it out every night, and I want them to be getting this revelation. And so he's, he's just, he said he's thrilled that they'll finally understand. You guys are understanding what he's sharing with you now every single night. And, and God is just so excited to connect with you in your sleep. And, and that's what Jesus said. Jesus told me to tell you that he can't wait. He can't wait to meet you in your dreams. So I hope you guys have learned something. I hope you have enjoyed this. I have had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. God bless you guys.